0: 15. First John chapter 5 verses 13 through 15. We'll be looking at, at this text as the, the foundational text as we will soon focus our attention upon the meaning of the third petition in the Lord's Prayer. So first John chapter 5, Verses 13 through 15. Please pay careful attention for this is God's holy and inspired word given to us this morning. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Well, please look with me in your order of worship at the confessional reading element. This morning we'll be confessing together Lord's Day 49, which consists of one question and answer, question answer 124. As always, I will read the question if you please respond by reciting the answer. Question 124 asks What does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Means, help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will, for it alone is good help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do let us pray merciful father we thank you that you you have not remained hidden but you have revealed yourself to us in in your word and we thank you that in In your word, we come to a knowledge of your saving plan of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. As we now turn our attention to consider uh, your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would be present, making this word effectual in our hearts and lives, that it would come with power and conviction. We pray that through that same spirit, you grant us the ability to not be mere hearers of your word, but doers also. We ask all these things through the merits and mediation of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, boys and girls, um, what, again, is are, are the three main sections of our catechism? Isaiah? Very good. Which section are we in right now? Gratitude. Uh, what is true faith? Violet? Knowledge, assent, and trust. What's the content of this faith? Annalise? The Apostles' Creed. Uh, What benefit do we receive when we profess this true faith? Marcus? Christ's righteousness. righteousness. Where does this faith come from? Violet? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. What what means or instruments does the Holy Spirit use to create this faith? Noel? Noel? The preaching of the word. Very good. And what what does the Holy Spirit use to confirm this faith in our hearts? Violet? The sacraments. sacraments, Very good. And what are the two keys of the kingdom? The two keys of the kingdom. Marcus? Church discipline and the teaching of God's word. Church discipline, the teaching or preaching of God's word. Yes, yes. How does the catechism define sanctification? Two things. Uh, Lily? Lily? Very good, the dying of the old man, the, the rising to life of the new man. Now this gratitude section is, a com- is composed of two, two main documents, the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. And we are, as I've said before, making our way through the Lord's Prayer. And today we come to this third petition. Now remember the structure of the Lord's Prayer alluded to this last week. The first three petitions have to do with God and his priorities and the last three petitions that have to do with us and our real needs. And this is a good, a good thing to keep in mind, and, and our prayer lives should reflect this balance. Uh, we should spend time, first of all, praying about God and his needs and his priorities in this world, and, and then, and second of all, uh, bring to him our, our real needs. And So today we're going to be considering what, what Jesus meant when he told his disciples, and by extension when he told us, to pray, your will be done. What do we mean when when we pray each week on the Lord's Day and maybe more frequently in the home, what do we mean when we pray, your will be done? In order to expound and explain uh, this petition, we're going to look at three, three main points. We're going to first consider what Jesus means by this reference to the will of God. And then second, we will consider how God's will is our sanctification. And last of all, we're going to consider how Jesus prayed this petition in his earthly life. So so first of all, what is God's will? When Jesus says, your will be done, a very good place to start is to reflect upon what does Jesus mean by your will? Now, Scripture speaks about God's will in two main ways. Scripture speaks about God's hidden or secret will and his revealed will this distinction is concisely stated in Deuteronomy 29, 29, where Moses says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So you have the secret or hidden will of God, and then you have the will that's been revealed to us and to our children. And so God's hidden or Secret will refers to everything that comes to pass in creation and providence. At the end of the day, beyond the fact that God's sovereign and that he is working all things for good, we do not know the specific meaning and purposes behind the things that come to pass in this world and in our lives. Think about the trials and hardships that you have endured in your life. Oftentimes we struggle with this reality. We struggle not knowing the specific purposes and meanings of of the hardships that we are called to endure beyond these broad points that God is sovereign and he is working all things for good. So this is the hidden or secret will of God. And we are not to pry into that hidden or secret will of God. God's very clear. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And the second way in which the will of God is used in Scripture is to refer to his revealed will. So again, remember Deuteronomy 29 29. The secret things belong to the Lord God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. Now, where is God's revealed will revealed? In Scripture, right? God's revealed will is revealed in Scripture. And even more specifically, in the law of God. In the the Ten Commandments, which is the summary of the moral law of God. That's why Jeremiah 29, 29 concludes by uh, by Moses saying, that we may do all the words of this law. Now recall how the catechism phrased many of the questions in the Ten Commandments section. It often utilized the concept of God's will. So for instance... Under the fourth commandment, the catechism asks, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? The catechism very intentionally connects the will of God with the law of God. God's revealed law is found in the Ten Commandments, in Scripture. This is the revealed will of God. And therefore, we are not to pry into the secret and hidden will of God. Rather, our responsibility is to be faithful to God's revealed will found in the word of God. We are not to pry into the secret and hidden will of God, but rather we are to be faithful. We are to be content with what has been revealed so that we may be faithful to do all the words of the law. This is a very very important point that This verse in Deuteronomy is reminding us of because our temptation is our temptation is to dive and and seek to delve into that secret will. And and when we go down that road, um, um, nothing good is going to come out of that. We are to be content with what has been revealed and be faithful to that revealed will. And so in this petition, Jesus, when he says your will be done, he's referring to the revealed will of God. When Jesus says, your will be done, he's referring to the revealed will of God. Which means that when we pray, your will be done, what we're praying is that we would do the revealed will of God. That we'd obey the law of God. That we'd be faithful to keep the Ten Commandments. That's what we're praying when we pray, your will be done. We're praying for our sanctification. 2 Corinthians 4.13, Paul says, For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is to say, your conformity to God's moral law. So when we pray, your will be done, we're praying for our obedience, we're praying for our sanctification, we're praying for our conformity to God's moral revelation. And this is exactly how our catechism interprets this third petition. Our catechism says that when we pray, your will be done, We are praying that God would help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk or uh, or without any backtalk to obey your will. Again, obey your will. What will? Your revealed will that we know in Scripture to obey your will for it alone is good. So the catechism interprets his third petition as being a prayer for our sanctification our obedience to the ten commandments that we've spent months considering in the heidelberg catechism and so what does the catechism mean when it says that we are to renounce our own will that's sort of the negative aspect of this uh what does the catechism mean when when it calls us to renounce our own will well we live in a narcissistic age (laughs) we love ourselves we care very much about how we are viewed in the eyes of others display and image are everything to us and there are certain aspects of our current culture that that definitely feed our propensity for narcissism and vanity now of course our culture doesn't make us vain or narcissistic but there are certain aspects of our current culture that that definitely feed our propensity towards these vices or this vice Uh, the first of which is social media. Now, there are benefits to social media, but social media definitely feeds our desire for self promotion and, and vainglory as we are able to curate this unrealistic but so called perfect view of ourselves that we can flaunt in the eyes of others. The second aspect of culture that feeds our propensity towards narcissism is how easy it is for us to spend on credit, load up a pile of debt, and live way beyond our means. Listen to how one author puts it. Rather than earning wealth, people today can borrow and simply pretend it to themselves and others that they have made it. Narcissism is linked to this quest for material good and it beat the Joneses' lifestyle. We spend money that we don't have in order to maintain an image that is a complete facade. And so the catechism here is calling us to be countercultural, That we are to renounce our own will. A will that's very, at times, narcissistic. That's, that's prone to be vain. And we are to renounce our own wills. We are to renounce our infatuation with ourselves. We are called to renounce our vanity and our enslaving desire to be esteemed and praised in the eyes of others. And so positively, the Catechism says that we are, to be, uh, we are to seek to obey the will of God. The revealed will of God. We are to seek to obey the Ten Commandments. The imperatives that we find in the New Testament as the New Testament seeks to, to further apply those Ten Commandments. Now, I've shared this illustration with you before uh, of a mountain as I, I describe the law of God. But I'd like to do so one more time. So, so think of, of the law of God, the Ten Commandments, as describing the peak of a mountain. So... For us, let's say the Ten Commandments are describing the the, the peak of Mount Rainier. Now we as redeemed image bearers are called by God to summit the mountain of the moral law of God. Now of course we know that we will not reach the top in this age. Our catechism, reflecting upon Romans 7, says that even the holiest of men will only make a small beginning in true perfect obedience. Which means that we will not reach the top in this age. But yet, we are to make a small beginning nevertheless. We are called to begin this summit in this age. So our struggle in this life is not about what the top of the mountain looks like. That is to say, our, our struggle in life is not what does what God's law, what does is, what is God's revealed will actually say. Our struggle in life is knowing which path and trail we should choose to summit this mountain. What, what path will most effectively get me to the top of that mountain? If we're honest with ourselves, we all are taking slightly different paths as we seek to summit the moral mountain of God. No one in this room loves their spouse exactly the same way. No one in this room loves their neighbor exactly the same way no one in this room honors authority figures exactly the same way which means that we're all taking slightly different trails and paths as we seek to summit the moral law of God because we are different people we have different we're in different seasons and stages of life we come from a different context in life and therefore our struggle when it comes to obeying the revealed will of God is not confusion over what the revealed will of God says but confusion over what path what trail should I take And what to most effectively get me to the top of the mountain? Should I go center, right, or left? And so let's say that, and and this is part of the reason why the phrase discerning the will of God is used so much. Typically when people use that phrase, they're not confused over what the Ten Commandments say. They're confused at how they can most effectively pursue the ends and purposes of those Ten Commandments. And so let's say a man who is both a husband and a father receives a job offer that will mean that he and his family will have to relocate to a new city. And that man prays that God's will would be done in that given situation. Again, this man likely is not praying that God would reveal to him the Ten Commandments. If he's a Christian, he probably already knows the Ten Commandments. Rather, what he should be praying is that God would give him a heart of wisdom to be able to know how to most effectively pursue the ends and purposes of the law of God. This man should be praying that God would give him a heart of wisdom to know how to, how to most effectively pursue the ends and purposes of the law of God. This man should be praying that God would give him a heart of wisdom to know how to most effectively pursue the ends and purposes of commandments 1 through 4, which are all about the worship of God. Which means this man should think through the various options and ask himself, which option allows me to most effectively serve the church? Maybe as a layperson, maybe as an elder, maybe as a deacon. This man should ask God that he would give him a heart of wisdom to know what's best for his children in light of the 5th commandment. Uh, This man should pray that God would give him a heart of wisdom to know what's best for his spouse in light of the 7th commandment. This man should pray that God would give him a heart of wisdom to know what would allow him to earn an income that would allow him to be generous towards others in light of the 8th commandment. This is how we discern the will of God. What option most effectively allows me to pursue the ends and purposes of the law of God. It's hard when we come to the crossroads of life, when there are two or three good options that we are trying to deliberate over. And what we're, what we're doing is we're deliberating over various trails as we seek to summit the moral mountain of God. It takes a lot of wisdom to know which option most effectively um, will allow us to pursue the ends and purposes of the law of God. And, and so this, in part, is what we're praying when we, we pray that God would allow us to obey the will of God. We're not just praying that we would, you know, merely be faithful at attending the catechism service to learn the Ten Commandments, but, but that God would give us wisdom through his spirit to know how we, based on our own specific context in life, would be able to most effectively love our neighbor and glorify God. And really, no one else can tell you definitively what that looks like. It takes a lot of wisdom personally for us to determine that. And so to connect this back to 1 John chapter 5, uh, John says that when we pray according to God's revealed will, we can have confidence that God both hears and answers our prayer. To put it another way, when we pray that God would give us a heart of wisdom to know how we can most effectively pursue the ends and purposes of his law, those are prayers that God delights to answer. When we're at a fork in the road in life, we don't know which option to choose because there's two or three good options before us. God delights to answer your prayers for wisdom as you seek to faithfully obey the will of God and most effectively love your neighbor and glorify and glorify him. And so that's a confidence that we can have when it comes to prayer. When we pray according to his revealed will, when we pray that we would be able to obey his will, he loves to answer those prayers. Well, this prayer, this petition, is also a prayer for the second coming. Notice that the catechism says that when we pray, your will be done. Well, we're praying that we, would, and all, we and all people would fulfill our office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. When will uh, we and all people willingly and faithfully fulfill our office and calling as the angels do in heaven? Well, when Jesus returns. No one does that perfectly in this age. When, when will all people obey God, as the catechism says? When will all the elect obey God? Well, when Jesus returns. And so, when we pray, your will be done, we're really praying, come Lord Jesus. Now, notice that this is the prayer that we pray in all of these first three petitions. When will God's name perfectly be hallowed by his creatures? When Jesus returns. When will God's kingdom perfectly come? When Jesus returns, when will God's will be perfectly done by his image bearers? When Jesus returns. And so when we're praying these first three petitions, we're also praying for the second coming. We're praying, come Lord Jesus, hasten the day. We're a pilgrim people and we long for that day in which we will experience the consummated new creation. Well, the reason, in fact, the only reason we can pray as a means of gratitude rather than a means of salvation is because Jesus prayed and lived this petition. The reason why when you feel guilt that you don't pray enough or you don't pray with enough faith, the reason why you don't need to interpret that guilt as compromising your salvation is because Jesus prayed and lived this petition. Now, when did Jesus pray this petition? Any moments in his life come to mind? Sean? Gethsemane, Gethsemane, exactly. On the eve of his arrest and death, as he is praying while his disciples are sleeping, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is doing exactly what question answer 124 calls us to do. Jesus renounced his own will. It was not wrong for Jesus, according to his human nature, to not desire to die for sins that he himself did not commit, but he renounced his will, and he faithfully obeyed the will of his father. Think of John chapter 6 when Jesus says, I've not come down to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is the will of him who sent me? That no one should perish, but all should be resurrected on the last day. Jesus knew that God's will included not only his arrest, his mockery, his betrayal, death, but most of all, it included him drinking the cup of his father's wrath and yet he was willing to embrace his father's will, knowing full well what it included. Again, this cup, as I said before, this cup cup that Jesus was agonizing over in Gethsemane was not his arrest, his mockery, was not death, physical pain. It was the wrath of his father. That's what caused Jesus so much angst. When you think about all the judgments in the Old Testament, the destruction of the world in Noah's day, or the destruction of Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea, or the countless and thousands of animals that died in the Jerusalem temple, or the bloody rite of circumcision, all of those judgments were mere shadows of the cup of God's wrath that Jesus would drink on Good Friday. But yet he renounced his own will, and without backtalk, without complaining, perfectly did the will of his Father. And because Jesus not only prayed this petition, but he lived this petition, we have the privilege to pray. God's ears are no longer plugged to the cries of his people. Because Jesus lived this petition, we have the privilege of being adopted children of God, being able to cry out, Abba, Father, we have the privilege of being able to, to bring before our God the requests and petitions of our heart, knowing with confidence that our prayers actually do something. And why do we have this privilege? Not because of our piety, not because of our righteousness or our zeal, but because Jesus lived this petition. And so let us, let us be a people who, who not only pray your will be done, but let us be a people who seek to do the will of God out of gratitude for this perfect work of Jesus on our behalf. Let us pray. (laughs) Merciful Father, we thank you for the instruction that we can glean from the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he not only prayed this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, but we thank you most of all that he lived this petition that he came to this earth not to do his own will, but to do the will of his Father who is in heaven. We thank you that we, as those who believe, are included in that will. As we heard this morning, the declaration of pardon, uh, we know that your will, your will which you determined before the ages began, include our salvation, include our final resurrection at the end of the age. And so we take much comfort from this Trinitarian salvation